When we talk about the angel of the Lord, we've looked at, the last one we looked at was the sacrifice of Isaac. This time we're actually going to talk about Judges 6. If you've got your Bibles, head to Judges 6. On Judges chapter 6, we have the story, verses 11 through 22 is where I'm going to focus, of, um, of Gideon. If you don't know the story of Gideon, I'll just do it a real quick run through. The uh, Amalekites had taken over the land. They're the bad guys. This is a Western, really. The bad guys are here. They had subjugated the Jews uh, and this particular tribe, and they had said, um, to keep the peace, you have to, give in, you have to give over your weapons. And so they did. The Israelites were without weapons at this time. That has never gone well for a nation to say, right, we'll do this and let you rule over us and it'll be fine. It got to the point where anytime you, they felt like you had any food stores or any money or even a young son that could serve in their military or a young woman that could serve at their pleasure, the Amalekites would come and take what you had. This is not unusual in history. In Europe, there were so many Germanic wars, wars through Germany with the different tribes there, the Teutonic Knights, I mean, we, the Hungo, uh, Hungarian uh, Germanic wars, there's just so many. Peasants starved to death. It was a real cause of so many mass death situations in Europe. What saved them was potatoes because potatoes were relatively unknown in Europe at that time. And potatoes are grown underground. And when they find, found potatoes, they were able to grow those and hide them from the so soldiers because the soldiers did not look underground for food. Uh, just that's why the potato became so important. Well, the Jews did not have that option. This was a, a brutal time. God's going to come in and God's going to fight back. Now, I'd love to do the whole story. We've only got about a half hour in our class time today. Um, and it's one of my favorite stories, frankly. But we're looking at the angel of the Lord. So take a look at this appearance in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abirzite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now, threshing. Um, wheat has a hard cover. And before you can use it, it has to be threshed. Threshing can be done with large uh, threshing forks, which you use to beat it, and then you throw it into the air. By beating it, you've broken it. And as you throw it into the air, the wind blows the chaff away, that, that heavy covering and any bits of stalk attached to it. What falls down then, it, because it's heavier, is the, the kernel of wheat. Now, they, they also did it, um, those of you that love the old Bruce Lee movies, the, the nunchaku, the nunchucks were based upon a threshing tool that were, was used, and that's in fact... Uh, they had armed themselves with their threshing tools, and that's where those, that all came from as well. But that was used to beat uh, the wheat down. You could also have um, workers come that had a, uh, like a log, and you would both have sticks attached to it, and you'd do this as you'd go through it, and go back and back, and then throw it up. And then there were the oxen 
that would go about and, and do that for you. So there are many ways of getting it done. But this is always done outside because it's a very dirty job. All that chaff, all the dirt in the air. Gideon's doing it in a wine press. He's doing it inside in the hopes that the Midianites won't know that he's got food. That's a, a, a very, you, we don't have anybody run a mic to you. Oh, you have a mic. Yes. Excellent. Yes, go for it. Oh, I think this is so amazing. This is a broken down uh, wine press that he's in, and he's with his feet beating out the, the seeds out of the, out of the, uh, from the chaff. And so he will not be seen. And it's so amazing that when God calls him this mighty warrior, yeah. and he's looking all about, thinking there's somebody else in the room besides him. Yes, I, I, it's a wonderful story. I, I love that moment whenever he shows up in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> now, there are two ways to look at this. Uh, either he is saying you are much better than you think you are, or he's being sarcastic. Because as we're about to find, Gideon doesn't know he's a mighty warrior. He thinks he's anything but. Uh, he's threshing wheat indoors. He's got to be covered with grit and dirt and he's all, because he's not going to do it outside and, and, and risk a fight. And I like Gideon because he goes right back at the angel. He doesn't go, oh, thank you, angel. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. Now, I find this wonderful. I do. Anybody in this room, and you don't have to raise your hands, but if you want to, you can. I'm going to raise both of mine. Have you not thought this same thing? Saying, all right, um, what have you done lately? You know, why didn't you do this for us? Why didn't you stop the loss of our Franktown uh, young man on Friday? Why, why didn't you stop this car accident? Why didn't you stop my baby getting cancer? Why did We have all of these questions. I find that wonderful because God's not afraid to put questions in. I got to ask you a question. <laughs> that sounds sound like Fen, my seven-year-old. I, I have a question. If you were writing the Bible, would you put that in? And I'm going to submit you would not because, or unless there's this really big thing that happened next and oh, there's the wonders. The, the books that didn't make it in the Bible, uh, people will talk about, oh, it's got secret stuff. It'll say things like, you know, don't ever listen to anything out of Rome or something. No, they don't. They, they just don't. And they're all, they're not hidden. You can read them on the internet for free. One of the reasons they were rejected was because they were all happy, happy power stories. Oh, I, oh there are several of them about, the, you know, the gospel of the infancy of Jesus uh, Mary's gospel, all about the growing up years of Jesus, where when people insulted him as a, he's walking around a boy, he turns them to stone, or he kills them, or he makes birds out of mud and throws them up in the air, and they become real. It's miracles, miracles, miracles everywhere, and everything's great. In the Bible, you go everything from Jericho and Rahab to the rape of Tamar to these questions, Jacob wrestling God, it's real. It's earthy, and it's where we live. He says, my Lord here, not yet applying anything to 
the angel that would say he is the Lord all capitals. But look what verse 14 says. This is the angel of the Lord, but when he's referred to in verse 14, what is the, what is the word? It's Lord all in capitals. What does that mean? That's right. It means Look. Yahweh. That's right, Yahweh. Jehovah. Yes. The Lord, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He is Amen. Yahweh. Amen. And he stands there and tells Gideon, go. Now look at this. I love this phrase. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now this one gets to me because I'm, I'm he of little faith a lot. I struggle, I catch myself sometimes and, and chide myself and try to correct the, how many times I've told God what I would do if, what I'd do for God if I had the money, what I'd do for God if I had better health, what I'd do for God if I wasn't so old and tired and eccentric and, and what I would do for God if, and God, I always ask him, if you bring this, I will do this. If you bring me this, then I will take this and I will do this. When God speaks to Gideon, he says, you go in the strength you have because I'm with you. You are just, just go. There were so many times as we would be trying to work in churches, stateside or Scotland, and I don't know if Cammie remembers me saying it or not, but I would say it a lot of times in prayer and sometimes out loud, I'm not the man for this job, but I'm the man that's here. So I have to do this. And I, I've felt that all my life. Even raising grandkids, I don't, you know, we were never around my grandkid, my, my grandparents, because my dad did not, was, he didn't feel they were religiously acceptable. And so we weren't around them and I wasn't around cousins. I wouldn't recognize a single cousin I have if they walked in the door. And so when the babies started coming, the grandbabies, I'm looking over at Cammie saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And she kept saying, oh, you'll do fine. And I'm still pretty sure I'm scarring them for life, but I'm having fun. And that's all, it's, it's all about me. If I'm having fun, who cares about their future? I won't be here. The, um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I don't know how to be a granddad, but I'm their granddad. So I'm going to, try to be their granddad you know and people ask me where you know about when I decide to be a minister I never did you know God shoved me in the door light came on said go and I'm going you know um it is go in the strength you have this is for you too I, and these illustrations are about me but this is all about you what is it you've been holding back and God's not asking you to do something stupid by the way you know, to impoverish yourself, you know, to, and wear yourself out and die. No, somebody already died for you. We don't need that. He's just saying the little things. Remember, it's the little things, that to, the, the mites. It's the little things. Well, one of the, the best things about being married to Cammie, and she's here, and so I don't want to embarrass her, but one of the best things is after 39 years of marriage, when we both enter the doorway at the same time or we're still, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I even tried to keep her from doing that many times saying, it's physics. Everybody has to be somewhere. Don't apologize. Yeah. But we apologize. And when we go on cruises, if you've never been on cruises, um, 
the, the room is about this size um, that you get in. And, and uh, in fact, I don't know how some people get in and out because those little doors are narrow. And I, I even told my wife, when I leave in the morning, you're going to hear this big pop, you know, just, and oh, he's out. Um, I said, by the end of the cruise, you're going to have to grease these walls to get me in and out of here. As we're moving around, we don't just apologize and play, say please and thank you, but we smile at each other. It's the little things. You know, it's the wee things. Well, what do you have? I think of Moses and the stick. It's one of my favorite stories. I've told you a story before. 80-year-old guy. And God says, you know that country where you're wanted for murder? Sick them. And Moses is basically, where were you 40 years ago? When I was young and fat and tanned and rested and muscle enough to kill a guy with one blow. Come on. Why, why now? 40 years. He's been head of sheep, Sinai division. He has no skills for this. And, God, and he starts asking, I don't know your name. I don't speak well. He's got all these excuses. God interrupts him and, and, when, and says, you know, you got this. Here's a stick. You're going to go up against Egypt with a stick? Wait, an 80-year-old with a stick? That's your plan? We don't even know if it's a pointy stick. Could have been a non-pointy, unthreatening stick. Could have been, had, had a happy face on it. And yet God did it. Go in the strength you have and do the little things God wants you to do. And he'll take care of everything else. But again, angel of the Lord speaks and says, Lord. Verse, thir uh, verse 16, the Lord answered. You're going to do this. I got this. And in verse 18, well, I'll start, 17, Gideon replied, if I, he's not a man of faith yet, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Hey, I'm all over that one. I love the, the dew and the fleece thing he did. That was very scientific because when it worked out the first time, he reversed the request to see if it'd work out the second time. That's science, people. I like Gideon. And, and by the way, that might explain why he was afraid to fight and he was hiding because most scientists aren't actually, you know, warrior types. <laughs> if, if you've ever, yeah, if you've ever, I, they're not like me. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not warriors. Um, if you've ever seen two scientists fight, it is, it's embarrassing. It really is. And, and you go to these conferences and they do, and it's like, you know, it's just, please, guys, please. Uh, and uh, anyway, so many things. Um, oh, he hit my pocket protector. The, um, it, if, please do not go away till I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Which, once again, shows this is God because angels do not receive offerings. But Jesus does. I, I got it. There are so many things here. I, I love the next line. So Gideon went and prepared a goat for the sacrifice. That one cracks me up. I know it shouldn't because I know what it means. He went there and he killed the goat and, and, and cleaned it like... But prepared the goat for the sacrifice. I just see him sitting down, putting his arm around the goat. You know, Bob, uh, we've been together a long time. And, you know, sometimes sacrifices must be made with the Midianites. And, but anyway, um, and, but I call this a Western because it really is, if you read all the way through, there's spies in the camp and this, that, and the other. And if you look in the next chapter, as the, the penultimate battle is about to uh, finish, is the first time in history you find in literature the phrase, cut them off at the pass. 
Because the Midianites are running one way, and he says, you go around this way, and you'll cut them off if you go through this pass. Oh, man. This is an amazing story. But we have other stories. And I want to go to a story which, to me, is one of the most powerful and important reveals that this has to be Jesus, the Son of God. It's told twice. That's how you know it's an important story. It's in 2 Samuel 24 and, and 1 Chronicles 21. David numbered the people. And you can be, you can be going, oh, pff, I don't, you know, by the way, we're, we're slide 16. Is that about, you know, if you're looking for, yeah, good. Um, and thanks, guys, for, for joining uh, the crew. Um, people ask, well, why was that a sin? You know, we can really get into this, but we don't have a whole lot of time today. Let's just say God required David to number the people at certain years. And David didn't. And then he did number them in the wrong year. And it was a sign of a lack of faith in God. He was not being obedient. And he was also not trusting God to protect them. He had to count his soldiers. You got something here for us? It's very interesting. Absolutely. The rabbis said that the reason that, uh, that, he, that he brought such a, a blight upon David, particularly this, the, the time when later he bought a ruin of land, is that his goodness and blessings are from the east to the west, and so he would take care of them completely, and there was no need for that. Mm -hmm. There's another point here. Back earlier in the chapter, when the, when the enemy was about, they, they asked God to send them a prophet. Send us a prophet and the least likely person. And, you know, each one of us who is called in Christian service can consider that a long time before these things happened, God had it all planned out and to equip and uphold us and to strengthen us and so we can be that prophet in any given time. The only other thing I need to say this morning is be very careful when you make a vow to God. That's right. That you keep it. Yeah, Ecclesiastes is pretty firm Absolutely. on that one too. Yeah. Second. Yes. Um, Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21 tells the story. And, they, and they're pretty parallel on this. And I say that because sometimes Samuel and Kings and Chronicles are sideways. But they're, they're tracking on this one. God comes and second, I'm going I'm to go to Samuel. 2 Samuel 24, um, God, uh, David knows he has blown it. So here comes your options in verse 13. So God went to David and said to him, shall there come on you three years of famine in your land? Um, by the way, the Septuagint says seven, which would indicate as long as it takes, not really a number, but we can keep this going. Uh, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land. Think it over. Decide. He, um, David is just torn up about what he has done but he chose the plague for three days well the plague hits from the morning until the time end of time designated 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died once again they don't use numbers in a scientific way they don't use numbers in a precise way 70,000 means an awful lot of people they, they, did, they didn't die in round numbers it just means an awful lot of people. A historic, a loss that is big enough to change history. How's that? It changes your story. 
because so many people are gone. Well, when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel that was afflicting the people, enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. I gotta ask you a question. And it, the Chronicles ones puts a flavor on it which is even more precise. When God says, this is your punishment, who has the right to stop it? There's only Jesus. The angel of the Lord comes in and, got, and Chronicles gets between the angel of death and Jerusalem and goes, no, no, you're done. I, uh, if you're not on team Jesus already, you better be. <laughs> Just, yes, go for it. Oh, one other thing. Listen, oh, no, that don't angel, do that. That Talk. angel was holding a sword and he could have destroyed the entire nation with that one yeah. blow. The second thing is, the reason he didn't take that second option is because he didn't want any more problems like he had with Saul chasing him and how severe that was in his earlier life. Yeah, he, he spent a long, if you really read this, they would make an amazing movie, but Hollywood would ruin it, of uh, the guerrilla tactics and how he had to live rough and in those caves and shouting across the gap that they couldn't get across. You know, there is some amazing drama there. And Hollywood always runs this stuff, even when they want, don't want to. You know, they, and they're saying, well, we're going to do this to praise you. And it always been. Anyway, God sent his son and stopped it. How about uh, Elijah? During Elijah's ministry, he appears three times. I love Elijah. I really do. I wish all prophets were Elijah. And that shows you how unwise I am. Amen. Because Elijah was all blood and thunder and gunfights in the middle of OK Corral. And he's going to sort it out. He's John Wayne with a robe and a mission. And when he died, there was no change in Israel. His life did not change them. God shows you that love does more than thunder and sword. But we love thunder and sword. I do. I say we. I, I don't, I've not pulled your hearts. Um, I, you know, my favorite scene in Indiana Jones, the first movie was when the guy comes out with a sword and he just goes, and walks all it. And that wasn't even supposed to be in a movie. I don't know if you know that. Um, he was, uh, uh, Harrison Ford, thank you. You, you, you. you read what's left of my mind. Uh, Harrison Ford was actually very, very sick that day. And he was supposed to do a sword fight with a guy and, and go all around leaping in this. And, um, and he, said, he said, I'm just, I'm sick. And so whenever it started, he, just, he did that. And Steven Spielberg, that was not the scene. Steven Spielberg liked it enough to where he said, let's do that. And so I, you know, I like that. I like, um, I like Korah, when, um, well, what God did to Korah. When he comes up and he goes, we're taking over. And God just opens up the ground. They all fall in, shuts it. Next. I love that stuff, but it doesn't tend to convert people and draw them near to God. All right? But Elijah, three times, um, he was there to give him food and drink after the battle on Mount Carmel and comfort him. Uh, he sent Elijah to deliver a, a deliver a death sentence to King Ahaziah. And when Ahaziah sent soldiers to kill Elijah and fire falls from heaven to destroy them, captain of one group of soldiers said please spare my life and he did God did through Elijah but then told Elijah go ahead that death sentence has got to be carried out so I, it, he shows up in 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 1 if you put those two chapters together 
1 Kings 19, 2 Kings 1, he shows up, the angel of the Lord shows up three times. Therefore, God really liked Elijah too. But sometimes, what has to be done does not advance the cause. I want you to think about this. What has to be done does not advance the cause sometimes. Think of David. David got things ready for God to live in the temple among them. But by who he was, God could not use him anymore. He had to pull him back from building the temple. Did he do what God told him to do? Often, not all the time, often. But um, once again, uh, the angel of the Lord. My favorite Elijah story is when I was a boy, and even today probably, is the battle on Mount Carmel. I find it hilarious, wonderful, and horrific. Uh, the end bit was way over the top. But if I talk about matters of faith and how they work with me today, my favorite story is still the ending of the drought, the famine. Because Elijah's praying. And I know, Albert, you got to love this, and I'll let you talk here in just a bit. Uh, well, not, I'll let you talk, please. You know you can always talk. Um, he's praying that God send rain. He's got a servant with him See anything yet? <laughs> nope. Don't go over there. Look. See any clouds yet? No. Keeps praying. Then comes back. See anything good? Well, there's a cloud. But it's only like shape the size of a man's hand. And Elijah basically goes, run. And the rain's hit. And I'm thinking, that's the kind of faith I'd like to have right there. You know, I'm the kind to go, I'd like for there to be rain. And you look it up, oh, only a 25% chance. I'm one of those guys. And that's not a good thing. Uh, and people, um, I, have, I had a person recently ask me, why do you cut yourself down? I don't cut myself down. I tell you where my struggles are because if we don't have common struggles, what do we have to talk about? You know, and if some of you have never had a faith issue, you need to know something. It's not because you're strong. It could be because you're weak and God knew you couldn't handle it. But it could also be that you're supposed to be sharing that strength with us. Right? The weak ones among us who would look up and see that cloud and go, that's all you got? Don't ever say that to God. Do not ever say that to God. You want to talk about Elijah and the prayer thing or any of this? Oh, my goodness. I only have about 20 hours of lectures on his life. You, you've, got, you've got 15 seconds. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Right. I'm kidding. No, listen. Um, when he, he, see, the Lord had told him the day you meet Ahab, it's going to rain. Well, now, after the ordeal, of course, uh, and he kills 850 of Jezebel's people, and uh, then he goes to, to the mountain, and, and uh, I believe that this servant is the young man who was raised from the dead. He was the son yeah. of the woman that fed him yeah. when he first came. But anyway, and, and uh, when he says, and here's the thing to me in this whole thing, before he went up that mountain, he says, I hear the sound of a mighty rain. <laughs> now, he was either beside himself or he had a, he had a dimension, a level of faith in God. And when James closes his little book by saying that we're like him or he's like us, that's startling. But the point is to me is, he said, I hear the sound of a mighty rain. And so God had, God had in another place, in an unseen realm, the storm that would wet the land of Palestine so that it would grow crops again and that widow then wouldn't have to have the miracle of any longer 
I hear the sound of a mighty rain before there was ever a cloud in the sky. That's the issue. Yeah, that's that is that that eye of faith. We sing a song here um, about let your rain come down, and it's it's about this. And I it, it surprises me how strong the theology in our songs can be. And I wonder if we're really catching it. It's kind of like on Father's Day when they always uh, we don't do it here, but when churches all over will sing your good good father. Now I'm talking about us. <laughs> Stop it. Um, there, it's these songs, but that rain has always been a sign of God for blessing. Yes. It has. And so, um, all right, let's um, just to wrap up the, in the next week because we can do it. Angel of the Lord promised uh, in Zechariah. He's in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4, and chapter 12, verse 8. He promised the exiles that they would be returning. And they would build the temple. And salvation, in fact, would be there. And again, the angel of the Lord can do that. And then you have the um, um, Joshua. Joshua 5.13. We talked about this one a bit earlier. So we don't need to really go through it very much now. Uh, Joshua has never been shy. And he is a commander. He's a general. That's what he does. And right before the battle of Jericho, he goes out to pray and sees a mighty warrior who is so powerful and standing there on his own that Joshua knows immediately, uh-oh, what am I looking at? And Joshua asks him a wonderful question. He says, are you for us or for them? And the mighty warrior says, neither. I'm here as the commander of God's army. Depends I want you to think. On, depends on my orders. It depends on the orders that I receive. That's who I'm. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I, I, I didn't understand you at first. The um, friends, I gotta, I gotta, I guess we're about to end so I can say this and run. Never assume God is on your side. We are supposed to be on His side. And the idea that we could fight a war and God's on our side. I'm not opposed to all war, don't give me, I'm not a pacifist. I know, for example, if they're exterminating the Jews, we got to send in Mr. Jimmy and his group. We, we have to. But Alexander Campbell, who was also not a pacifist, when he made an address to the joint houses of Congress and the Senate, one of the very few that's ever done this as a preacher, almost nobody, in fact, preached to them about why it was wrong for a Christian to, to assume they were God's on our side when you're shooting at other people that also are believers. And he, it, the whole thing was, we need to pull back from this. So again, uh, I, I know that some Democrats believe that God is all about them because they're about the poor and about refugees and the like. And I know a lot of Republicans believe GOP stands for God's own party, and it doesn't. It just doesn't. Keep your brain engaged. Regardless of who you vote for, keep your brain engaged. Don't go for the emotions. The emotions don't do it. Love is not just blind. It's also incredibly stupid. Keep your thoughts and, and logic. And remember, as we sang in O Holy Night, his gospel is peace. Now, sometimes you have to be a peacemaker rather than peaceful. I get that. I do. But... Uh, people, people assume because I'm not a pacifist, I'm pro-war. And I'm going, no, 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 no. No, 
know, I think there ought to be a law that any legislature, the vote legislator that votes for law, uh, votes for war, has to go. And not be somebody, not, not be a fobber, uh, a fixed or forward operating base person, never leaves. No, 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 no. You know, hook him up with the Marines and send him out at the front door. And we'll see. Let's see. Anyway, uh, it's, um, I just, that whole thing, there are times that I get so self-righteous in my heart and I'm reminded of neither. I'm not on your side, Patrick. You need to be on my side. And that's why I love the expression, God be with you. God go with you. And it's completely biblical and it's fine to do. But I prefer go with God just because I need the reminder. You go with God. All right, last one. Um, well, that was the last one. All right, so John, I'm just going to read this to you out of John chapter 12 and verse 49, and then I'm going back to John 5. But listen to this, Jesus speaking. I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. John 5, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. I tell you, the, time, the, the voice, hang on, I've got here. Uh, uh, there we go. A time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as a father has life in himself, so he's granted the son to have life in himself. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear their voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And if you remember Matthew 17. This is my son. Hear ye him. The angel of the Lord loves us. And um, that's pretty cool. And that's one of the reasons I love reading Hebrews. Because it's all about that. He is with you. He's been with you. He is for you. You are for him. Walk together.